I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a very special conversation that transcends design. Today, we're talking about doing well, doing good, an eye for the unique and creating an exclusive collection of photography. We also talk music, travel, and getting lost to find yourself with Julian Lennon. At one point in this conversation with Julian Lennon, you were going to hear a rare confession of mine. <laughs> His song, Too Late for Goodbyes, was in my top five mixtape songs that I made for girlfriends in high school. Now, it's embarrassing for two reasons. One is because that is a very middle school thing to do. And two, how many of you listening actually know what a mixtape is? Exactly. So I bring this up because I felt a special connection with Julian and prior to actually speaking with him. So it's, it's very much the same type of connection I have when speaking with designers, architects, and product designers whose work really speaks to me. It's probably a similar feeling you have as well. And that connection is what transcends design from something super luxurious expensive or beautiful to work that has some form of direct connection to the creative themselves. My conversation with Julian covers his photography, the inspiration behind it, as well as the journey required to capture every image, and how you can get them for your space or that which you're designing for your clients. Yes, we also talk about music and the connection between photography and music. This was a really fun conversation for me, one that would not have been possible had we not become so proficient with virtual meetings. Julian joined me from his home in Monaco, and I am truly appreciative for that. If you are not already subscribing to the podcast, please do so you get every episode automatically when they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And now you can find us on designnetwork.org, a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check it out. And if you need some help finding the show, simply ask Alexa or Siri, just say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design podcast. And she will. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, a fantastic company and an equally fantastic design partner. While the Walker Zanger brand was built on the promise to inspire designers and architects to do their best work, there's far more to it than that. Yes, that promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But at the heart is a family-owned and operated business that provides stunning surfaces for a well-designed home and does it to make designers and architects do their best work for their clients. Walker Zanger started in 1952, and they are absolutely one of the best trade partners a designer can have. Check out their newest collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. And they provide homeowners with the materials that dream kitchens and baths are made of. Check out any of their 14 showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Since you mentioned it, the first thing I wanted to ask you about 
is you can you can rewire your own studio. Do you like rewiring? Do you like figuring out how to make it? I kind of get a kick out of being able to do it. Um, and it's like most things in life for me is that I'm self-taught. So it, I, it's throwing myself under the bus half of the time, you know. Uh, and, you know, I've made many mistakes on that front too. But it's, uh, you know, it's all come about through, you know, uh, many, many mistakes and just trying to do the right thing on every level. But, yeah, I mean, this. the other thing is where I am in particular, there's there's not a lot of people that can do it. Um, that's, um, and so uh, half the time I'd have to figure the stuff out myself anyway. If, if I needed to unplug the system, I'd make notes to a degree and go, yeah, I, I'll remember that, and I'll remember that, and then, of course, I don't. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because I, I kind of I wanted to ask you about that because something that I heard you say once um, yeah. as it relates to the photography, which, okay. which we're, we're talking about your photography um, in addition to an, a, a litany of other things that I think we're probably going to get to. But when it comes to the photography, you had, you had mentioned something about getting lost. And the idea is when you're out on the motorcycle and you got your gear with you and you go get lost and then something's not working or you're also self-taught. So, you know, trying to figure out all the technical aspects to photography, which is the same as audio. I mean, like most people have no idea all the knobs and dials you could turn to make things sound, right? Yeah, well, you know, on, on the musical front, uh, it'll be, the circumstance will be, I'll be able to achieve sounds uh, and mixes that professionals, some professionals will go, how did you do that? Doing it the way that you did it. It's, it shouldn't work that way. And I'll go, it sounds good to me. That's all I know. How, how I got there, I've no idea, but, you know, um, same thing with the cameras. You know, I, I'm really not a tech guy with the cameras, auto for the most part. I'm getting a little closer um, and it, it all depends on time, uh, where I'm going, what I'm doing. Uh, do I have time to set things up? Generally not. Um, uh, I, I always feel like I'm on the move one way or another. And even with doing, you know, I, I mean, in regards to photography, there's never, I've never had a sign of a, a, a real kind of setup as such. You know, I could never go into, you know, fashion scenario and start shooting, but it's just not my cup of tea, you know. Give me, you know, street photography, guerrilla photography any, any day. That's my, that's where I get a kick is capturing something that maybe you shouldn't or is unlikely and, uh, um, I mean, not in every circumstance, but it's all about not knowing what you're really going to, what you're letting yourself in for. That's, you know, it's a good anxiety. Uh, I, I suffer a lot from bad anxiety, but that's a good one, you know. The idea behind it and, and where I was, one of the things that I, I, I love the work and you have a new collection, which is available through Restoration Hardware. Apparently, apparently, well, it is, and I yeah. love, and I, and I, and I love the work. And you know, in listening to you speak about it, 
um, the idea about you getting lost and getting out there and going and taking and taking pictures. And I, it's funny because I, I kind of relate that when you talk about anxiety, is there anything more freeing than getting away from everything and everyone to just go be in your own head for a while and find something that makes you happy? It's, it's the only thing that saves me, let me tell you. It really is. But because of the way uh, we all communicate now, there's no space left for yourself for half the time, um, especially with an iPhone, you know, or any kind of portable. Um, there's no freedom. Um, and that's why getting on a bike, getting on a motorbike and just looking at a map and just, that looks interesting. And I, I will just get on the bike and go. Uh, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have noticed a, f- a couple of key roads, but that's it. And then half the fun is getting lost up in the mountains or up in the lakes or wherever. I mean, I've discovered more about where I live in the last six months by just doing that out of frustration of, of being locked down for so bloody long, excuse my French, you know, that that this new exuberant kind of, I, I can't wait to get out there and discover things. And, um, you know, I can't say I've done a lot of photography in that realm, but it's also, it's also like, even with the picture behind you, dear sir, that that is taken, you know, in the back of a car. Uh, you know, a, a lot, I would say 50% of my landscapes are taken either in the back of a car, van, or a truck. And, and it's keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that what I see then and there is what's going to be on the camera. And more often than not, I've not a clue until I actually sit in front of the computer and go, yay or nay. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It really does come down to that. And uh, um, I, 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 uh, as I've said before on, on many occasions, that more often than not, I'll take, you know, a, a collection of photographs home and I, I, and I won't think that I have anything. And especially if it's connect, a collection as such, whether it's U2 or whether it's Charlene Whitstock or, uh, or, or things like that. And it's generally only through the editing process that I'll find the picture in the image or the image in the picture, one or the other, I don't know. But it's only then that I really find what I'm looking for. With most photographs that I take, I have a general view and I think there's something in there and there's something that I feel with taking that photograph, but I don't know what it is until later. So it's, I love that explanation. And it's interesting too, because for, for, for the sake of this conversation, you know, the composition is so important and there's one image that I saw, and forgive me, I don't remember the title of it, but no, it's an- I don't either, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, it's, it's an image looking at a city. It's from the backseat of a car. There is a rear, there's a side mirror, and you can see the face of the person who's oh, looking. Yeah. And here's what I love about it from the, from the sake of composition. There's, no. there was, when I was looking at it for the first time, I went back a, a second time to look at it. I didn't actually see the face in the mirror the first time I saw it. So then when yeah. I went back the second time, I was just surprised that it was there. And then I started realizing other aspects to some, some through lines in some of your other work. And with this, you know, to see a face through the lens of a mirror from the camera 
to see what they're seeing at the same time, you're getting this double perspective where you're, you're almost sharing the view with somebody else of wh whom you, you know nothing about. It's the experience that I think is so special. And you almost get that same, I, I feel like I'm getting it's, the same kind of experience that you had there. It's kind of, it's kind of very romantic in many respects. You know, there is a romanticism about that, about, you know, time and a play. And it's, and again, that's, you know, El I have to say that Elliot Erwitt was, was you know, I, I, a big fan of his work. And one of his most famous shots is this couple kissing in the mirror of a car, you know, uh, side mirror. And I, I always loved that. And I always loved to see images within other images and, and, and slight other storytelling uh, or, or, you know, that there's, uh, it, it is storytelling and it's being a bit of a messenger, I guess. But yeah, no, the, the moment I saw her face in the mirror, it was, it was, but did I get it or didn't I get it? And again, I didn't know because I was in Cuba for a week um, with, you, you know, quite possibly the worst food poisoning I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but um, no matter how bad it was, which it was really bad, um, I just because I knew I was only there for a week, I had to get out of bed no matter how ill I felt because, you know, I just it just had to be done. And um, so, um, but I tell you what cured me, though, which was a really strange thing. I know this is a bit you know, left field, but um, some, this, the, the same girl in the picture who was showing me around Cuba, she was a dear friend of mine who works in film and TV production over there. Um, um, she had said, well, you know, we'd walk around Havana and she said, would you, you know, maybe listening to a bit of music would make you feel better. And I'd heard a lot of the, the usual stuff, but she, we went to, she took me to an Indian restaurant. And in the Indian restaurant was one of the best jazz bands I've ever heard in my entire friggin' life. It was all the students that were going to all the different colleges, schools, and university in the area. And when they weren't working, they would come in and play. And so this music not only lifted my spirits, but Indian food, Indian food cured me. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, I, I guess that's a good thing. So just maybe, to, maybe, uh, maybe it was the heat, maybe it was the spice, whatever it was, it cured you. I but think I, it was, yes, go on. No, sorry, go ahead, finish the, finish the thought, please. No, no, it's probably the spice, you know, killed anything that was there before, that's for sure. Well, I wanted to actually jump onto something that you mentioned because I think that this is something that most people don't know is when you talk about Cuba and you talk yeah. about finding amazing jazz music in, in an Indian restaurant in Havana. So a, a few years ago, I had an opportunity to interview Arturo Sandoval and he was, he was telling me what um, growing up in Cuba was like and being yeah. part of this nationalized love and passion for music. So every regional area would put together yeah. their, the same way that you'll have some places put together a soccer team or, or some other kind of team, yeah. regional areas would put together musical groups 
And they yeah. would they would vary by, you know, some would have that Afro Afro Cuban, some would have jazz, some they all learned the yeah. classics growing yeah. up. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? It's 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 uh, I, it was one of the best gigs I've I, I've ever listened to. And I, I mean, you know, literally someone would walk in with a backpack. Uh, he'd sit down, one guy would leave, he'd sit down, play the drums next. And it was like, it, people just came in and went out and it was no big deal, but they just, it was the joy of playing together and just, again, from all walks of life, different, different influences could be heard. And that was what was really magical about it, that it could all work together. And it really was just jamming for the most part. I mean, truly, truly mind-blowing. You know, for me, you know, I don't really con – I consider myself more of a, uh, a writer than a performer as such. Um, I mean, I've performed, but these guys, it was jaw on the floor and, oh, my. You know, I, I, if I <laughs> – I better go back to the drawing board. You know, it was truly phenomenal. Well, it's almost not fair because they're classically trained from you no, ridiculous I, because yeah. i didn't yeah. because when we sat in the restaurant i didn't understand you know where all this was coming from and my friend was going oh yeah well classical backgrounds jazz backgrounds is a mixture here and it was mind-blowing truly my i mean i'd never heard anything quite like it i mean the nearest thing i can say that that gives me a buzz these days is a band who i'm now friends with a few uh, of the, the founding members is the snarky puppy I don't know if you know those guys. I, I do. I've spoken to them too. Love them. They're oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. The, two of the guys from Snarky Puppy play on the new album so that's uh, coming out next year. So looking forward to some people hearing that and going, really? Snarky Puppy? Jules? How does that work? <laughs> well, first of all, I can't wait to hear that because they're fantastic. The last time I saw them was at the Playboy Jazz Festival and in Los Angeles. They're amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, mind blowing. Mind blowing. But you also released something recently with Nuno Betancourt, uh, who yeah, well, also. That was, yeah. that was lockdown blues on crack, really. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, I, I, I was losing my mind, you know, and uh, because obviously, you know, I was middle of the album and my best friend, Justin Clayton, who, who I, whom I wrote the first couple of albums with went on world tours with um we were we were producing the new album together and uh covid hit lockdown hit uh so we were separated for two years and kind of the album came to a halt and i at that point started learning how to engineer again self-taught i was like beginning from scratch because justin had been on a course and he knew what the hell he was doing me no um so so you know this uh, opportunity came up and nuno approached me and I, I i i you know he mentioned a few song titles and i went hey let me find something that's a bit more gutsy and something that hits home for me a little harder and Karma Police had always been a favourite uh, with Radiohead, um, and uh, and it, that was just fun, 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 fun to do uh, after not having any real communication with uh, uh, people for a long time. And I'd seen some other people do some uh, uh, collabs, but 
uh, weren't necessarily my cup of tea. And I just thought, what, what would I do if I was in this position? And it was for charity and it was, you know, so I went, let's, let's do this. And then, of course, once I'd done the we'd done the track, he said, okay, we need to do a video now. What? What do you mean we need to do a video? Well, we need a video to go with this. Otherwise, you know, what's... Right, okay. Mm, when, by? Well, by the weekend. What? what? So, <laughs> anyway... Anyway, I just did what I thought felt okay, a little bonkers, but okay. And they followed my lead, you know, went went with the same kind of weird vibe. But uh, it, it all worked, and I loved it. I still love the track. I think it was, it was, uh, you know, more. Bring it on. Yeah. At the same time, I wanted to ask you about that experience because you know, so all at once everybody in the world, how often does that happen? It's so rare that everyone in the world experiences something at the same time. And I think there are good elements to it and bad elements to it. But one of the interesting things is that everyone had to learn how to do something at the same time. And for you as a, look, I mean, you're a Renaissance man. You're, you're a total creative. No, you're a total, you're a total creative. And what you do, you want the experience to be, you want to be able to control the experience. And I want it to be worthwhile as well and relatable, you know, otherwise what's the point, you know? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to find the way to put this without being rude. Uh, not to you, just in, the, in my phrasing. <laughs> um, we're gonna jump ahead on that one. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 not about just uh, you know create, creating things for yourself all the time. You know, it's about communication and, and relationships and uh, emotions. So, but it um, it was it was important to make it feel like it meant something, it, it, which it did in reality. Because again, after not really working for I think it was a year at that point in time, and not really communicating and I you know I hadn't really gotten into the zoom zone at that point in time and uh, so I was a bit uncomfortable with that initially now I'd prefer to do this to zoom than actually make a phone call I want to see who I'm talking to and I'm like, yeah I want to see your reaction so for me that's important I think that's it's 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 actually become a, a, a unique and weirder step in communication. I, 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 it's, I actually kind of look forward to seeing my friends, especially, you know, with the travel ban in the US. I haven't been able to come over there for a long time. Uh, hopefully November when the, when, they, uh, when the ban, you know, lifts. But, uh, you know, this is the only way of, I can imagine what other people, feel. you know, I live alone. So it's, it's, you know, not having communication, and I know millions felt the same, was a very, very difficult thing to do. And it's fine that you can go and bury your head into work, but when you, you know, which was 24-7 for the most part, but then there are those times where you're like, well, who am I? What am I? What, what is this, you know, that we're going through? And it was extreme, you know. I, I mean, I would have to say, that, thankfully, I dealt with it pretty well, 90% of the time, but there were some, certainly some dark moments. But again, falling into this mode of being able to see friends and communicate was a lifesaver. 
a real lifesaver. Talk about timing. I mean, yeah, it was quite amazing. You know, what's, what's kind of fascinating too, is I was thinking about this in advance of our, of our chat. I, I feel like, um, you know, with, with the pandemic and the way everything happened, I, I was, you know, I'm based in Southern California in Los Angeles. And when everything shut down, I actually got in the car. It's funny. I didn't take the camera. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work. I just wanted to go see. I drove right. da- downtown LA and it was a ghost town. Right. It, it felt, it felt post-apocalyptic. Yeah. It really, it really did. It was weird. Yeah. 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 I, I, the only way that I was able to escape my, I, I, my next door neighbor is one of my best friends. And uh, she had uh, an ailment that she had to see a specialist for. And, uh, but uh, and it was to do with an eye condition and she, she couldn't drive. So I was, uh, I became the chauffeur, um, you know, and I have to ha- had to have special paperwork and all of this because there was nobody, you know, nobody out there. And so the, the do- doctors that she had to go to was like 45 minutes away. And, you know, when I when she asked me to do this, I, I said, yeah, of course, as long as we have all the paperwork. But I mean, it was the most in one respect, it was the most beautiful thing in the world because there was nobody around, you know, uh, I mean, really glorious. I mean, stunning. But, but at the same time, the freakiest uh, thing, thinking, what would it really be like if this, you know, if if the world really did come to an end similar to this, you know, if it, if 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 you know there were more more problems along the same same lines that took us into another world, we just I don't think we'd know how to deal with. Anyway, yes, but it, very very unique, very strange. I, I wish I'd been able to you know actually get out with the camera on those occasions, uh, but. Uh, <clears throat> Unfortunately, the, the, it wasn't—you know—it wasn't allowed really. I mean, well, and it's and it's interesting too because this reopening of everything post-pandemic is almost for the for the creatives a reclosing of everything. If you know what I mean, you know, walking down to the beach and not seeing anybody, no footprints yeah. in the sand on a beautiful yeah. day, being able to take a, a picture that you don't have to Photoshop people out of that they just aren't there, and then all of a sudden it's crowded again. Yeah, um, yeah, I know, I know. It felt, it felt, yeah, yeah. I, and funnily enough, this, this is part and parcel of the reason why I work. I didn't. Most people I know were on a summer holiday. Uh, I, I worked through all, all through summer uh, because there was just too many people. You know, it yeah. just, it was, it was. Uh, I, I have to say, uncomfortable, and. And it felt dirty and messy again, and it's and it, you know people weren't looking after the, even their own mess. You know, going to the beaches and just leaving shit. Excuse my French. You know, still, uh, I, you know, I, I was disgusted at the way we're still continuing to treat our beautiful planet, even after the this pretty much this horror that we've been through already. Um, it's just a shame. Uh, it's just a shame. It hasn't woken many people up. Many are, uh, but, um, you know, and certainly I think it's focused us uh, on what's important and who we want in our lives uh, uh, these days, you know. That, that focus is not, is not new to you. Mm. 
Um, tell me about the White Feather Foundation. How far, <laughs> how far back do you want to go? I mean, it's a big story, but I can summarize. Um, yeah, tell me about okay. it. Okay. Um, let's see. Touring Australia was number one with a song called Saltwater, all about the environment. Um, it was pretty much number one, top five or ten worldwide, except for America, had no support in America. For that song. Uh, anyway, uh, was on tour, found myself in Adelaide, was called down by the hotel management saying, listen, the, uh, the lobby is filled with in, an indigenous tribe, news crews, and uh, a bunch of other people. You need to come down. I thought this was a prank because, you know, we prank a lot on the road. So uh, I, I said, yeah, sure, sure, sure there are. Said, they said, no, uh, really, there's an indigenous tribe down here that really want to speak to you. And uh, so I said, uh, okay, um, all right, I'll come down. So I came downstairs and uh, a friend of mine knew, knew this tribe and they, they were called the Moaning Tribe. And, the, uh, and there was about 30 or 40 people, I think, all in all. Uh, and they were on a raised platform in a semicircle. And I stepped up and the elder, who was a woman, who sadly now passed last year, walked up to me and gave me a white feather, uh, a male swan's white feather. It's like yeah, big, I don't know, 15 inches. And um, the precursor to this was that many moons ago, dad had said to me, uh, I don't. I can't tell you when or where. All I know is it stuck with me because I thought it was a strange thing to say. He said, "If something happens to me, I'll let you know that I'm going to be all right, or that we're all going to be okay, and uh, it'll be in the form of a white feather." So when this white feather was presented to me, and then I was asked by the tribe, "Please, can you help us? You have a voice." I didn't know anything about their plight. I, I had no idea what what they what they had to deal through, uh, deal with over the years. Um, and my friend, best friend, and still still is a great friend. Uh, he he'd been working a lot with indigenous tribes, and he filled me in on what was going on around the world. And I said, "Listen, okay, uh, you know what." Uh, uh, what do I do? Continue being a rock and roller or get off my backside and do something to help these people? Uh, yeah, I do have a voice. Okay, where do I begin? I spent 10 years making a documentary about their their life uh, called Whale Dreamers. It was never really seen as such because there was no marketing, there was no PR behind it really. Um, we won some international fil uh, independent film awards, small indie movie, but... The I, uh, you know, we tied it in with other indigenous tribes around the world and what they were facing. And the idea was at the end of it, um, well, how do I, you know, I, if I, if we make some money with this, how do I, I, I want the money to go back to the tribe, you know, to keep their culture alive and try buy back their land or do hire lawyers to protect them in this modern world. And, um, the only way I could do that legally was by starting a foundation. 
I thought, okay, well, that's a bit weird. Um, and then my friend and I, Kim and I, we sat down throwing ideas at the wall and we're going, duh, White Feather Foundation, hello, come in number nine. Um, so the foundation started uh, purely as a vehicle to try and get some money, trickle of money to, to the to the to the tribe. And then as when the internet internet, excuse my French, came along, um, you know, we set up a page where people could find out about the film and donate. And, um, and then slowly but surely, I started getting more messages, of course, saying, well, can you help me? Can you help us? And I'm going, um, I'm not really a foundation. Um, but maybe I can do something. I don't know. So, you know, I spoke to a few friends and literally it's, for years now, it's just been me and one other person or two other people running the show. That's it. And we, we've we survived based on donations from the public. Um, there's been one or two generous uh, donations in the past, but, I mean, literally li we live, uh, uh, you know, on daily donations by all the good folks out there. Um, although we're looking, you know, uh, and we've been like – very much like the uh, there's, there's a certain terminology uh, that I'm trying to think of. Anyway, we trundle along. We, we we survive, and in the process, we help as many people as we can, and as many of the causes that we back. Uh, you know, obviously, clean water is fundamental. Um, health and education, uh, especially for indigenous and uh, uh, in uh, in poor countries, um, obviously the main support we have been helping with is our indigenous tribes around the world, uh, and with health and education, but also trying to buy back land that that used to that they used to own before governments kicked them off the land, and and keeping their cultures alive as best as we possibly can. Um, but there's some new people coming to town, so to speak, who are seeing what I'm doing and seeing that it's genuine. And, you know, we, I just need more support and more help and more sponsorship. And it looks like that's going to come to fruition in the next year or so. So White Feather, or, although uh, I've no plans to do that and make it a sparkly show, uh, we, we will keep plowing forward and doing the best we can with what we can so that's uh that's the white feather foundation for you so through that you know back to back to this photography mm. because i feel like and did i see images of um is it the koji oh yeah the koji tribe yeah yeah so i met some uh, really great folks uh a few years before from an organization called act the amazon conservation team and um, they were planning on heading down to Colombia with a few of their other uh, uh, sponsors and supporters and asked if I would like to come along on behalf of White Feather. And uh, I had time, so I said, hell yeah, let's go, uh, camera in hand. Um, and it was only a, a brief experience, but boy, was it deep and meaningful. Uh, we went up... Because originally these people uh, were fishermen. They lived on the seashores. But they were 
you know, uh, scared off into the mountains of the Sierra Nevada in Colombia uh, because of the Spanish who basically <laughs> wanted to kill everybody um, at that time. And uh, so we went up into the mountains to, 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 to visit these guys, uh, this tribe, uh, who were amazing. And, you know, I'd seen some documentary work on it and basically the fact that they they had come down from the mountains because they'd noticed that there's a very famous uh, mountain, I, I can't remember the name of it, uh, that's almost pyramid-shaped, and it always had snow on it, and the snow was melting, and they were really worried that we were screwing things up. So they came out of hiding, basically, out of the mountains, uh, down to the shore to try to... Uh, get people to take notice and uh, 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 and uh, try to do something about this um, and warn people that if we continue on this path, we're all going to be screwed. Um, uh, whilst I was there, we went through a few ceremonies. I mean, we we managed to buy back some of their land on, on the waterfront. And uh, I just had one of the most peaceful nights or going into end of day nights in my life uh, so far was sitting with these Koji tribe on the beach, not being able to speak to each other, but just appreciating the beauty around us, the, watching the sun go down, the sea in front of us, and a fire just, uh, you know, from old uh, wood on the beach. And... Um, uh, and then uh, as the sun went down, the stars coming out. There was no phones, no computers, no lights, no nothing. And all we saw by, by firelight was each other's faces smiling and being present in that moment. And uh, I, I will never forget it. It was magical. And uh, again, there were a few ceremonies that if we had more time, I'd go into. But uh, maybe another time. Um, and, uh, you know, I've just, with all of these indigenous uh, peoples that I've met around the world, all I want to do is is wrap them in my arms and protect them and do whatever I can uh, to help them. And uh, so that is key to uh, everything everything I do move, moving forward. Because I, I, you know, whatever I do uh, that I can sell, the proportion of it goes to the White Feather Foundation to keep these these guys, the cultures alive, health and education, clean water all of that, et cetera, et cetera. So that's part and parcel, you know, why I do so many creative things, because I figure if, if I can make some money that will help them out, then that's what I'm going to do. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, the, the camera is, is quite a weapon. It's quite a tool. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of the things, I, you know, you want to embrace, you want to protect, you want to defend it's one thing to tell somebody about it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's another thing to write about it. It's it's another thing entirely to take a picture of it and to show them. Yes. Yeah. No. I I think one of the the most heartwarming things for me has been, uh, especially with the growing fans of of the photography that I do, is that. Many people can't, don't have the finance, finances, can't travel, and or are 
not well enough to travel or have some kind of disability. And the one common denominator is, Jules, you, you show us things we may never see. And Jules, you're telling us stories that, you know, we've never seen before. And we, are, we, we actually understand, we're starting to, as I, I've said many times before, this is the way f- f- that people can empathize with people in different parts of the world, is by seeing how they're living and what they're going through and uh, how they survive as a community and how they love each other so much. And uh, again, love the earth that, uh, that we're all part of. And uh, I think that's apparent when you do see, uh, you know, many of these images. Do you also think, you know, I, I heard I heard something else that you said where it, it was basically in essence, you know, the photography gives you an opportunity to, to share how you see things, but you also mentioned that you view things differently. Your thought process, you think about things in, in a different way. And I think it's it's also one of those things too, where your ability, there's something about photography yeah, which it's kind of like a. It's very much like a song. You know, when you're when you're writing a heartfelt song, not something yeah. that's that's poppy, and you're just writing it to to sell records. Yeah. But when it's a heartfelt song that someone writes yeah. the lyrics themselves, you're yeah. giving a view to inside of you. When you take when you when you take an image, when you stop time for that brief moment, yeah. whether it's like the image behind me, where that particular image, that cloud found a formation, that that composition will never happen again. It, yeah. it may be similar. It, it may be kind of like it. It'll never happen again. It's always going to be different. Yeah. Taking Nobody can ever criticize the image because, right. you know, it's what you saw. They may say, well, you could have turned the angle, the camera this way, or you could have colored it a little, or you could have cropped it here. Yeah. Not really. You can't criticize it. it. It's capturing that moment in time, and it really kind of speaks to how you're viewing things and, and the story that you're trying to tell, does it not? I, I think with with at least everything I uh, I feel that everything that I do that, that there has to be I mean it's part of storytelling again and it's part of uh, being an emotional person and I I think it's uh, again it's part of being a messenger in many respects um, you know with everything that I've ever done it's never been about stuffing ideas down people's throats. It's about presenting things and letting people take what they want from it. And uh, with, again, whether that's music um, um, or, or the visual work. And, uh, and again, the, even from the comments I made before is that people take a lot. It surprises me how much people take from an image and, and how it makes them feel. I, it, it's a constant surprise because um, you forget sometimes. And uh and, uh, and I found your comment very interesting just then, is that nobody can take anything away from the image itself, uh, which I've never th- thought about that in that context before. Uh, but, but it makes absolute sense to me. I, I also kind of put it in, in, a diff- in a different perspective, which I, I wanted to ask you about this as well, because I, I think this is fascinating. It's, it's, how, it's how people use your work. Right. <laughs> so, <Go on. laughs> so it's it's almost super embarrassing tell you telling you this story, but when it comes to music, yeah. so I grew. It's so funny. You're sitting there. You're gripping the desk. You're like, oh no, where's this going? So in 1984, 
I'm a, I'm a high school freshman. Okay. And growing up in LA and too late for goodbyes was, was like, was like top five on my mixtape. Whenever anything went wrong, that was always on. And it's funny. It just makes me laugh. It's so stupid, but it makes, it's how people use your work that you have really no idea. Cut to now, cut to now. Okay. This, this collection of images that you've crafted and put together. Now it's, it's readily available. There are people who are going to designers who are going to specify this for, for, for design projects that they're working on. There are homeowners and people who are going to be putting this in a, in a special place in their living room where, where they're going, people are going to see that stoppage of time. They're going to see that image, you know, every day they walk in their study or every day they walk in their living room or that's there. For people yeah. to see, and it's just it. It feels to me like it's it's bigger than a picture. It's you are telling a story, and it's how people use your work because they're they're going to view it maybe differently, but it inspires them to do other things. I think that's marvelous. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've, again, I've never really delved into considering those elements before, but. Uh, I, I, I'm fascinated by it, and I, I'm thankful that that uh, that people find something within the images that I take. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a moment of intrigue or whether it's a moment of that, like some of the cloud stuff. Uh, that it's uh, it's it's space, it's freedom, it's getting away from what we see every day. Um, yeah, for that I'm very thankful, for sure. I I just it's it's really interesting to me because as as many, you know, having spoken to, you know, literally hundreds of designers, right? And designers are really interesting because designers are kind of these futurists that that reimagine needs and wants of their clients to make their right. their living space, their homes, the place that they they long for them to be. Yeah. And and I, I would see. I would love to be a fly on the wall in those houses after the fact. See, that to me would be very intriguing. I'd love that. You know, really, who's, who's actually buying this stuff? You know, who? You know, uh, it, it would. Uh, I would find that very curious. Why? Uh, because I uh, just to see the different kinds of people that would be interested in the work. You know, I find that fascinating. Do you ever do you ever think about the consumers of your product? No, not not in the, this is why I find it fascinating because I you know for me it's about doing this work musically or otherwise visually that just inspires me from out of the ether you know and and uh, yeah obviously I've seen how some of the music has affected people for sure uh, but. I've not really been in a position to really see how the public have viewed the photography work. So, I mean, you know, um, a little bit with some of the documentary work I've been involved with, but, um, you know, uh, but I, I guess the, the photography is a bit more personal in that regard. So, yeah, well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how things progress, you know, and uh, what happens. I mean, 
it's, does the uh, does the does the inspiring. photography does the photography feel more personal to you than any of your other creative endeavors, or is it all on par? It's all on a par. Okay, everything. Yeah, I've got to have a connection with each and every bit or medium for sure. Um, there's there's got to be some a feeling of purpose behind it. I can't say what the end goal of that is, but it 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 has to give me goosebumps and make me feel something. Otherwise, I don't put it out there. You know, uh, it's it's that it's as simple as that. And it's a different it's a different experience. It's funny because I never really thought about this from the other side, from the point of view of the creator, because it's yeah. a different experience too. As a musician, you know, you can you can look at you can look at the charts. You can say, right. oh, well, album sales, single sales, support, yeah. it, concert tickets, it's moving. Unless you do a gallery show yeah. or, you know, you put it on sale, you can see if things are selling, but you never really get to get to feel the experience. At a concert, you get to see how people are responding to you and, and to the music. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to say that I've, I've felt on a few opening nights of... Uh, of, of uh, you know photography exhibitions that I've been overwhelmed and really quite surprised at the response that I just thought are you kidding me right um, I mean I, you know the first exhibition I ever did in New York at the uh, the Morrison Hotel Gallery where the CBGBs um, you know that was I was sick to my stomach for three days before that first exhibition exhibition because I thought. Here we go again, another, you know, creative medium. I'm going to be crucified. I honestly thought that, but the response was overwhelming uh, and it was a packed house and I didn't quite understand it. I, uh, I don't know if you, I, 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 I'm very familiar, become very familiar with this, this uh, terminology, which I, I, is it the imposter syndrome? Uh, it's or maybe it's not imposter syndrome, but it's it's what you don't feel deserved of being where you are. You don't feel that you should be recognized for what you do, um, that you, you you are there by happenstance, that it's not it's not real. Um, but it's a good one to look up. I, I'm not sure it's syndrome, but it's imposters, ah, something or other. Um, and I, I just half the time never feel deserved of the things that I do, but I work my backside off, no question about that, 24-7. So, but I still have this kind of thing inside of me that says, I don't know what this really is or why I'm doing the things that I'm doing, but there's some drive, there's some connectivity here, there's some inspiration. And again, Whatever the end goal is, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm driven. Uh, and I'm not sure why. And maybe I'll find that out one day. But uh, I, again, I've, a few people have remarked that I, I, I've been a messenger of sorts, but through the work, whether that's lyrically or photography or uh, even the documentary films. But uh, I, apart from that, I'm just little old me doing my own little thing. Um, uh, and trying to enjoy the process, you know, uh, as best as I can. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I find all of it quite nerve wracking. 
and, and anxiety ridden most of the time. You know. Hey, Julian, I'm I'm just curious about this. Yeah. You know, this is this is not a therapy session by any stretch. <laughs> Although it could turn into one pretty quickly, could, really quickly. But I'm I'm really interested in sort of behind the why you would walk into an opening and expect to be crucified. You expect that there's going to be the criticism. Is that is that something that is a tool that drives you or is it something that is just an unwelcome byproduct? Both. Both. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the crap that I've, I've had, you know, uh, for, for, yeah, that, that's, there's a great, uh, quote by a dear friend of mine who, um, whose father was, uh, in his circle was a very famous jazz musician. And his and he went, he's a co-writer I work with, incredible jazz musician. Um, and, you know, he was, uh, when he went into the, the field uh, of his father, you know, he was embraced by all those around him. Um, although I've had some, you know, uh, pleasant, uh, uh, experiences i would say that the majority has been very dark and very negative and uh, uh you know whether it's um you know i i mean there was a lot of criticism that i got for for even how dare he getting into the music business uh i i never really felt supported uh in the past and you know went through some very, very difficult times. And so it was always a challenge trying to figure out who the F I was. And I am. So, you know, I've, I've just put that all to one side. I mean, it's still, there's still the anxiety that drives me forward uh, because I just want to do better for myself. But a lot of this came out of, of, of wanting to, I mean, my mother was behind a lot of this you know, Cynthia, because I just wanted to make her proud, no matter what, even if I had to face 500 bulldogs charging at me, I have to, I have to walk through that storm, whatever's coming my way. Because I know at the end of it, no matter how afraid I am, I'll come out of it a stronger and better and more focused and clearer and more kind-hearted person and a more understanding person. At least that's my take on it. So, that's partly been my drive and still is that, you know, what would mum think about this? You know? Um, and so I just push I, and I keep pushing. And, uh, and the more I do that and the more I'm honest with myself in that regard, the, the happier I am and, uh, and the more, uh, the more I understand myself more than I ever ha have done before. You know, uh, I, I probably, you know, I mean, we all discover ourselves as we get older, but certainly uh, I have a better understanding of who this idiot is right here now more than I've ever done. And I think that's, you know, part and parcel due to the things we, we, we go through and or put ourselves through. I mean, you know, it's quite bonkers because I could have walked away from all of this stuff a long time ago, especially the public's interviews and this and that. And certainly I've, I've taken a step back because I just, 
I love the creativity. I love doing all of that. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to get out and promote some of that. But I, I, I'm not interested in, you know, in being the pop star or, or being the, the celebrity on the front cover. I just, it doesn't drive me. And that's why I've fallen in love with being behind the camera, you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, that's it for me. I, I, again, being on both sides of it all, you know, now producing myself as a musician as well and doing things that move me completely uh, initially and, and then just hoping that other people like it at the end of the day. Uh, and if, if they do, it's a win-win. And if not, I just keep on trucking. That's uh you know, just keep going and keep uh, developing and uh, uh, being a, 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 a more empathetic and more compassionate and stronger person in life. That's uh, and a little more wise and learned in some areas, not all areas, but some. And and at the end of the day, that's <laughs> that's re that's really the important part, right? I think so. I think yeah. so. Uh, 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 um, being open and able to communicate and, uh, and uh, I think help each other along in this weird thing called life. Absolutely. And with that, I want to make sure that, that everyone knows where to go. Uh, so check the show notes. Where to go? I can tell them where to go. <laughs> Maybe I was going to tell him someplace else. If you check the show notes, um, <laughs> you will find you will find a link to the new collection of Julian's, which is available at Restoration Hardware. And um, Julian, really, man, I cannot thank you enough for the time today. My pleasure. I hope I wasn't too loopy or tangenty for you. <laughs> it's been it's it's been a long week. Thank you, Julian. I really enjoyed our chat and look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for presenting Convo by Design. Thank you, Thermosol, for your partnership. You are both remarkable partners and amazing allies for the design trade. Thank you for listening. As you may have noticed, Convo by Design is bringing you design talent from all across the country and the world. It's not just about LA and New York, but Alabama, Louisiana, and now Monaco. Thanks again for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm -hmm.